Well, good morning, Hope Church. So good to be with you guys this morning. I'm so glad that you chose to come to church. I'm excited to kick off a brand new message series that we're calling In the Fire. Um, But before I do it, as my custom, let me welcome all of those who are joining us from Eureka. We love you guys. We're so glad that you're joining us, that you're joining us online. Today's a special day because we are doing a combined service at the 11 o'clock, so the next service, we're hoping to see a lot of you from Eureka, but realize that many of you may be watching online at home today, so we just welcome you to join us and be with us, and for those of you who are joining us from Hope City, we love you too. It's our downtown location, ministering to the homeless and the broken, and we just love you and just uh, welcome you to join us today. Um, This has been an interesting season, hasn't it, (laughs) to say the least. Just when you thought it got weird, it gets weirder, and it's challenging me um, in particular just personally as a husband, as a father, as a spiritual leader, um, as a pastor in a local church. Um, This season has probably been one of my most challenging seasons to try to walk through, navigate through, and to lead you And to really, I believe that anytime God puts somebody in a position like this, it's more than leading a church. It's God puts churches in communities to serve the community and to lead the community. And um, and I believe that we have a role in that. So I feel a very high responsibility in that. And I take it very seriously. And and can I just tell you that no matter where you fall on the spectrum, and I I honestly, I respect, I've, I've heard all of the thoughts and opinions on it, and I think they're all valid. I really do. I think, I think this is a time when all of us are really searching for what is real, what is truth, what is really happening. Can we trust what people are telling us? And is what you know, people say and do really what is there, or is there something behind it? And I think, um, I think there's some legitimacy in wondering that. And yet, in the middle of it, uh, we have this, truth that we go by called the Bible and our relationship with God that even just last week, if you missed last week's message, man, again, I feel like God is so perfect in his timing that he gives me always exactly what we need as the body of Christ and as the church for what's coming, not even what's right now, but what's down the road. And even today, as we kick off this message series, it couldn't be more relevant, I believe, to help you and help me and help the church at large how we walk through Um, and balance grace and truth, right? Because that's what we're called to do. Uh, I think oftentimes as Christians, we can be right, but we can be wrong because we didn't do it in love. And so there's there's really, I see, um, two real big issues in Christianity today. And one is this, is that the church has really let down its guard and it has let too much of the world creep in and it's gotten soft, and it is bended towards culture, and has postured itself in a place of, oh, accept everybody, and love everybody, and, and not take a posture of, there, there is a thing called sin that is real, and that is in scripture, and that, and that we have to, and we are commanded to let people know that there is a, a right and a wrong, that it is not just moral relativism, in our world right now, like it is not to each its own. There is a a moral standard in this world. And by the way, the whole American justice system is built on that moral standard of the Bible and the word of God. And we have to go by that. We cannot compromise that. We have to stand on that. We can't bend to culture. 
And so there's this, this major grace movement that I believe can become sloppy and unbiblical and where we, we adopt you know, things like homosexuality. And, and listen, through this message series, I'm gonna say some things that might offend some people. I'm just putting it out there. But I'm telling you, unless we start talking about these things in the church, and unless as pastors and leaders prepare you for what I believe, I don't know that we've seen the worst of things. I believe that, that there, if you read your Bible, I don't know how much better things get. <laughs> I think there, that we could be in for some persecution, and we've never had to face that before here in America. And, and I think that we have to prepare ourselves for that, and we have to prepare ourselves for some things. And so right now, I feel like for such a time as this, as the church, we need to be awakened. We need to be awakened not only to our, our state of holiness, because God wants his bride to be spotless. He wants us to be holy. And again, that's not of our own. That's, that's grace, so we need to lean into Jesus for that. But I think we could get posture, the church can posture ourselves in a place where we start just accepting everybody and not saying, and, not, and giving mixed signals that it's okay to live an ungodly life and to be a Christian. It's not. It never has been. And there's this thing called grace to not just forgive us of our sin, but to help empower us to live a godly life. And so when we, when we watch our model Jesus, he led with grace and with truth. He embodied both grace and truth. So yeah, the woman caught in adultery, did she sin? Yes, she sinned, and she was thrown at the feet of Jesus. And when everybody was saying, you know, hey, she needs to be stoned to death, that's what the law said. Jesus said, yes, but I say, your sins are forgiven. But he didn't leave it there. He said, go, you're free, but sin no more. <laughs> Grace and truth. And so I see in the church today that where we could go on the one side of the spectrum and be way too liberal and way too accepting of, of sin and unholiness. And then on the other side of the spectrum that we can um, posture ourselves in a place where we look down on everybody else who's not. And we create this us and them mentality that you don't belong in the church until you clean up your act. And we're, we're sending these mixed messages to the world and they don't know which one is which. Is it grace? Is it truth? What is it? Am, am I being judged by the church or am I being loved by the church? Am I being accepted by the church or am I not being accepted by the church? And here I think this is a conflict that many of us feel and the tension that we feel as Christians and the tension as we feel as people that are part of God's church and are looking at the world that we live in right now and even the world that our children are inheriting from us. And, and if that doesn't scare you and if it doesn't shake you and if it doesn't keep you up a little bit at night, I don't know what does. In fact, before I sent out that email about, about the mask, which I had to do, I had to address it and I knew I did, but I felt like, you know, this is, this is between me and you. I'm not gonna go on social media and I'm not gonna address that on there because quite frankly, it is such a hot topic. I don't need the world weighing in on what we're doing in the church. And so I felt this is in-house business, this is family business. I'm gonna address my family. I'm not gonna address this with you. And besides, I feel like I'm not gonna make this a bigger deal than I think it is. I think, and, and I know some of you even saying that could get offended because you feel so strongly about this. But let me tell you that I believe that the, what the enemy is the master at is taking things and, and making them bigger than they really are. 
He magnifies our problems in our lives and he wants to magnify and distract us and get us off mission of what the real mission is. And so my heart is, I wanna say, look, I respect whatever side you're on, mask, no mask, to wear or not to wear. I know that's the question, but to me, the greater question is, is are we following Jesus and are we staying focused on him and are we gonna live, are we gonna choose to live life on mission? I believe that the answer for this world, yes, there's a place for politics. There's a place for standing up for our freedom and our constitutional rights. I totally agree. And I'll, I'll be one to stand with you in that arena. However, I feel like my first obligation and my first priority is to stand for my place as a son of God and as a leader of his church and as a citizen of heaven. And I'm, I, I honestly, for me, I'm sorry, but I'm just more concerned about the state and conditions spiritually of our world and where it's headed. And I'm more concerned about people that are going to hell. And I'm afraid that if we posture ourselves in a place where we start pointing fingers and you're right and start pointing fingers at each other and we're not unified in our heart and love for people in our community, that we're gonna send the wrong message. And we're gonna actually, we're gonna actually cut our, off our ability to reach this world with the hope that we have in Jesus. Because, listen, it said they'll know we're Christians by the way we love each other. So if we can't do it here, how in the world are we gonna do it out there? And I'm sorry, I didn't even mean to preach this. This isn't even my message this morning. But I'm just sharing, I'm just sharing my heart with you. I'm just sharing my heart with you. But quite honestly, and I don't even know if I'll get to the message, to be honest. Um, but I do feel like I need to speak this to you because I love you so much. I hope you hear that. I hope you hear my heart in this. Before I sent out that email, my wife and I just sat there and, and cried. My wife was actually like literally in tears. I said, baby, what's wrong? And I thought maybe she didn't like the way I worded the email or you know, whatever. And, and, and she's wrestled with this and I've wrestled with this. Trust me, I agonized over this for 48 hours. And the thing that I agonized over is I know that it's gonna separate some of us. And it already has, and that's the part that grieves me so much. I sat there, we, we cried because of the state, not, not over mass or no mass, but because of the state of, of our country. Really because of the state of, of, of our country and where things have gotten to you and even even this virus, I think, is, is from the pit of hell. It's from the pit of hell. And it's coming against our world, and it is turning people against each other. And it is, it is I believe that we have two responses. We can let this awaken us as the church and as the people of God, and we can unite together, and we can show the world what love looks like. And in the middle of that, I do believe that we can take a stand for what we believe and we don't have to compromise that, but we can do it in a way that's loving and caring and shows the character and the grace of Jesus, but yet stands for the truth. Amen? Amen. And that's what I hope for our church. I hope that, honestly, that Hope Church is a leader in this valley. And, and just your, even your response this morning. And so here, even for, for me and my house, I shared with you how I felt about it, but at the same time, I'm not gonna judge you if you come through these doors and you're not wearing a mask. And by the way, I'm not gonna make you wear one. That's not for me. That, this was the governor's orders I shared with you biblically, spiritually how I feel about it, but I'm not gonna force anyone to do that. That's for you to decide. 
I'm posturing myself a certain way. I'm encouraging you to posture yourself a certain way. But I, I don't want this to happen. I don't want you, we as the church, to judge anybody who walks through these doors wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Don't let it be an issue. That separates us. Don't let it. Because if we do, we're playing right into the hand of the enemy. Okay? Okay, enough about that. I'm ready to talk a little bit about Daniel. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Daniel, and I'll see. I'm probably only going to make it about halfway through this message for the sake of time. But it is what it is. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. And I'm just so blown away at God and his timing. Honestly, we talked about doing this message series months ago. And what a perfect message series for a time like this. We're going to look at this book and this message series. I'm not going to go line by line, verse by verse, but I am going to break down the truths of this book that um, not only is a historical book, but it's a prophetic book. In fact, it's broken in. It's got 12 chapters, and it's broken into two parts. The first part is the first six chapters, which are history, straight-up historical account of how Babylon came in, invaded um, Israel, God's chosen nation, his people, and captured them, besieged the city, destroyed it, stole some of the, the holy things out of the temple of God and, and the treasure house, and, and then captured some of the, the young men, uh, the promising, the future of, of Israel and of God's people, and brought them back to Babylon and began this process of culturally tearing down and breaking down who they were, and started indoctrinating him into their culture. And I'm going to talk about some things in the, this message series about how that relates to us today in the 21st century. And I don't want you to look at this as, oh, America's Babylon and all that, because I think that we can get off track in that. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. There's definitely some similarities at work. But I would say that Babylon really represents a spirit a spirit that is at work in this world, and it doesn't matter if it's America or if it's Europe or if it's China. It's the spirit behind it that is at work, and it is trying to get us to conform to a pattern of this world that is trying to take us away from God. And so I'm gonna read these first eight um, verses to you out of Daniel chapter one out of the NIV, and it says this. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, listen to this, this is significant. There's sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I'm gonna tell you where to underline things because they're significant. Here's one of them. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king, to Judah. Notice that it wasn't just Babylon that overtook God and his sovereignty. Anytime we see God, listen, God is sovereign. There is nothing that happens that doesn't escape through his fingers or that he doesn't allow and so he allowed them to come in and to take over his chosen people. But I also will tell you at the same time that there, uh, Israel was in a place for many years where they had turned their back on God. They had started following and worshiping false idols and false gods. And there was several prophecies of warning beforehand, several times warning the nation of Israel, God's people, just like I believe right now, there is a prophetic voice raising up again that is warning this nation that if we don't turn back to God, 
that there may be some consequences of our waywardness, that there may be some consequences of our idolatry as a nation and not keeping God first. And so now, because they did not heed to the warnings, God then allowed Babylon to come in and besiege them. And it says this, um, that God, then the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into the hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his gods in Babylonia, little g gods, and put them in, and put in the treasure house of his God. So now he's taking the sacred things, the treasures, things that are holy, and putting them into an unholy place. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men, young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude, informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them, here's another one to underline, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And there, and, and let me pause there for a second. Um, this is significant. The, the food from the king's table is a significant piece here. Why? You think, ooh, that's the good stuff. Yeah, it is the good stuff. The food and wine that the king ate, that was an honor to eat the same food that the king ate. In fact, it was a way of bringing you in and kind of like schmoozing you, if you will, if you sat at the king's table and you ate the food that he ate, wow, you got that wow factor. Like, oh my gosh, like the king is inviting me to eat the same food and he's eating delicacies, he's drinking the finest wines. So you're like, heck yeah, I'm down with that. And yet, what you don't understand is that food, specifically the meat and the wine, had all been dedicated to their gods and worshiped to their gods. So according to the Jewish law, it was defiled. It wasn't kosher. It was defiled food that had been offered as a sacrifice to other gods. That's significant. You need to understand that about the food part. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter into the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now these were their, their chosen Israelite names, their God-given names. And the chief official gave them new names, another significant thing you wanna underline right here. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michel, uh, uh, to Michel, Meshach, and to Az Azariah, Abednego. Now, you from Veggie Tales, you probably remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You remember all that? But Daniel, listen, and here's the last one. I'm going to read to you verse 8, and this is significant. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I want to pray over this little time that we have. The title of my message this morning is called The Heat Is On. The Heat Is On. But before I want to do that, I told you last week that before I preach to you each week, I want to just take 60 seconds and I want us together as the church to pray for our nation. I believe what's going to change this nation is when the people of God unite together and pray. In fact, uh, I'm looking forward this week. Uh, I heard about a movement 
um, that is gonna be happening in September where God is uh, calling people to the nation's capital to pray and to fast. And I want you to know that as, as uh, our church, we are gonna join with that movement. What's the name of that movement again? It's not reach or gather. Return, thank you. It's called The Return. And it's calling this nation to return back to God. And so we are going to, and I'm gonna call for a fast during that week as a church, that together we are gonna fast and we are gonna pray. But uh, until then, every single Sunday, I want us to take 60 seconds, one minute, and together pray, not just Pastor Lance pray. I'm gonna encourage you, there's something powerful about corporate prayer. That is when we together as the body of Christ pray in unison at one time. So as I pray in the next 60 seconds for our nation, I want you to join with me and to lift your voice in prayer. Will you do that with me? Okay, let's do it. Father God, we thank you that this nation was founded on your word, God, that the justice system of this nation and the foundation was laid upon your word and about our faith in you. This is one nation under God, indivisible, and so, God, I pray right now, even for the churches all across that are meeting today, God, that we would be unified as one body, that we would come together in one faith, under one God, under one nation, and we would worship the one true God together. And God, I pray that revival would sweep across this nation, God. Those of you at home, come on, pray with us right now. Revival would sweep across this great nation once again. God, and that you would awaken your sons and your daughters. You would awaken your church. God, we humble ourselves. We come before you and we pray and we say, God, forgive us of turning our back on you, forgiving us of the grave sin of idolatry. And God, I pray that as we humble ourselves, that you will hear from heaven, that you will forgive us and that you will heal our land once again. God, bring healing to this great nation and bring revival in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Woo, yes. Awesome, and I've got about five minutes to preach. Perfect. All right, I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to hit home on a couple of really key things, I think, that we need to have as the foundation for all of this. And that is this, that even Babylon, as evil as an empire as it was, there was a spirit at work that was controlling um, kings, leaders, a mindset, a culture that uh, becomes dark over time. When, when I say the heat is on, y'all remember the analogy of putting a frog in a pot of water on the stove? And for those of you who don't, let me just give you that scenario again. You could take a pot of water, put it on the stove, and take a frog, and you could put it in the water, in that pot. And then if you slowly turn the temperature up, if you turn it up to 300, 350 degrees right away, that frog is gonna feel the heat and it's gonna jump out of there. However, if you slowly turn up the heat, little by little, degree by degree, slowly over a period of time, that frog will start to acclimate to the temperature as it's rising and before you know it, that frog will be belly up, white, <laughs> all sprawled out and dead in that water. I believe that as the church, we have to be very, very careful. This week, I hope to stir you up. I hope to, um, that, that Holy Spirit conviction rises up in your bones and that you, you get to a place where we're awakened to some things maybe we've allowed to creep in as, as we are living a part of culture now here, I know there's another posture, especially in Montana, where we could take the stance. And I actually was a part 
at one point of, of a church and a movement that kind of believed this way, that we could say, you know what? We're supposed to be holy and this world is unholy. And so therefore, we're just gonna separate ourselves altogether. We're, gonna, we're going to go into the woods. We're gonna build ourselves cabin. We're gonna start a commune. We're gonna separate and keep ourselves undefiled that way. That was never Jesus's plan. My Bible says, go into all the nations and teach them everything that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus modeled this for us. He wasn't afraid of unholy places. In fact, he recognized that because he was holy and because you carry that same spirit and that same presence alive in you, where you go, you bring holiness with you. So you can walk into a bar and there may be darkness in that bar, but when you walk in, you bring the light and the love of Jesus in there with you. And you don't have to, so he modeled for us. You can, you can hang out with, the Bible says he was a friend of sinners. He went into places, he, he dined with mobsters and prostitutes and he got hammered by the religious folk for it. And said, how can you do that? You're gonna defile yourselves. And, and he constantly told them, no, I am clean. It's not, it's not what um, you put into your mouth. It's what comes out. It's what's in your heart. It's what's in your spirit. He was trying to get the point across that makes you clean or unclean. And so the choices that we make and the way we live our life is what is the difference that makes us holy or unholy. And so God calling, I believe God during this season, one of the things I believe that God spoke to me is that God is calling his church back to a place of holiness. If we're gonna get back to that place, we have to recognize there are some spiritual forces at work that are trying to not only destroy us, destroy the church, destroy a nation, destroy our world. Ephesians 6.12 says it like this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's not against a governor. It's not against the president. You, you might have you know, personal feelings towards certain people and, and even the way people are posturing themselves, you know, on how they feel about things. Some people, you take a stand for what you believe. I respect that. I'm not gonna come against you. If there are people that don't believe or think the way we think, listen, you gotta recognize that there's another spirit at work in this world. They're, they're only a byproduct of it. It's not even them. It, in fact, I, I'll show you. I don't have time to show you today, but I promise you, you come cliffhanger, come back next week, same time, same bad channel, and I'm gonna lay it out for you clearly. There is something so powerful about what they did, changing the names. And I believe if we're not careful, our identity, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to shift the way we see ourselves and shift who we are and start to take on identity that this world and this culture would try to put on and put on you and put on me. But we have to recognize that we are not fighting against people. This is why it's so important no matter, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what your brother or sister believes right now, if you don't believe like them, they're not your enemy. They're not. And guess what? The world isn't our enemy either. So we could posture ourselves like, yeah, it's us against them and y'all are going to hell and you know, we're, we're going to heaven and I'm sorry for you. But listen, our heart needs to break for those who are deceived, who don't know the truth, who haven't experienced what we, we experienced. Our heart needs to go out to him and we have to recognize that we're not just dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with what it says here, against rulers, against authorities, 
against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you, you don't even have to be a Christian to recognize that we're not just living in a world where there aren't spiritual forces at work. I mean, even people that know, don't know God recognize that. There's TV shows about the, the paranormal and about psychics. And listen, people that don't believe in God, they believe that there's a spiritual world. Trust me, they do. They just don't believe in the right spiritual world because they haven't been introduced to the kingdom of God. We are the people that get to introduce them to the kingdom of God. Now you could look at it two ways. You could look at it like, man, I'm just ready for God to take me to heaven and be done with all this. And trust me, I've been there, y'all. Or you could look at it like we are living in the greatest season ever, that we can, we can be a part of the greatest revival this world has ever seen. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says this. Look, this is where we all used to be. And this is why, hey, I want to I remind you that once we were all lost. We were all blind. We couldn't see. I was living in this world. I didn't know the difference. I didn't even know there was another way to live. And look at this scripture. It so clearly points it out. As for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Now let me pause there. This, Paul is telling us there's ways of this world. I love how Romans 12, 2 puts it. There is a pattern of this world that this world is trying to conform you and is trying to conform me to. And if we allow it, it will slowly, just like that frog in the heat, it will slowly change the way you think, the way you identify yourself, and it will change your convictions of what's the truth and what isn't the truth. It will confuse you on what is true and what isn't. And if we're not careful, there's a generation. And listen, for those of you who are parents, my kids are part of that generation. Some of them are serving right now up in the loft. Some are on this stage right now. My greatest fear, anytime you look at historically, when God lost his chosen people, the people of Israel, when he lost the nation, it always began with a generation that weren't raised up to know God, to honor God, to know the word of God, and to fear, not fear in a, in a unhealthy way, fear in a positive way in that we have a holy reverence for who God is. And I wanna be in relationship with him. I don't wanna fear him as a tyrant. I wanna be in relationship because he's a loving father. He's a good God, but he's a holy God. And he longs to have relationship with you and me. But we used to follow the ways of this world. But here he says something significant. He ties two things together. The ways of this world and that there's a ruler of the kingdom of the air in this world. The spirit who is now at work, listen, at those who are disobedient. So those who aren't following God, anytime we choose and you can see this at work in our nation right now. Anytime we choose to give, give God the, the Heisman, no, I wanna do it my way, I'm not following your way, that's when this spirit of the world begins to work us over. 
and it begins to pull us more and more away from having a relationship with God. The very thing that Jesus Christ on the cross gave his life for. See, the whole Bible, I believe, is this love story, beautiful love story of a God who created you and he created me in his image, in his likeness, and how sin, when, when man chose to say, no God, I don't wanna do it your way, I don't wanna follow your ways, I wanna do it my way. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did when they, when they clearly disobeyed God's command and he even told them. He said, look, if you eat of it, you'll surely die. They didn't die physically, but it began this process of death in the human race, this disease called sickness called sin. And sin began to separate people from God and having relationship with Him. And the Bible is a whole story of, of people that, that followed after God and people that chose not to follow after God. And in their relationship and their ups and downs in that relationship with God and in seasons of history where they've turned their back on God and followed their own ways. And how God finally said, listen, I, am, I need a solution. Here's the solution. I'm gonna send my son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be the bridge that takes away the sin that separates me and that is the darkness in this world. I'm gonna bring the light of the world into the world to bring light to the world, to bring truth to the world, to bring grace to the world and to be the answer for everything that we're even experiencing right now. But we gotta receive what Jesus did and we gotta live it out. So I got so much more, like I said, and I'll give it to you next week, but I think this is a good start. If there's anything that I want you to walk away with from this morning, it's this fact. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, that this is a spiritual battle that we are in right now as the church, as followers of Jesus. And the way that we win this battle is we win it through prayer and we win it through worship. And we don't let it stop us from being the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, we are the hope of the world. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Are we gonna put, put something over us and say, nah, I think we're good. We're just gonna hold up in the church and let the rest of the world, you know, experience all the, uh, everything that they're going through right now. No, we're gonna bring light. We're gonna be love. We're gonna recognize that our battle is not against this world. And I pray, and I wanna pray for you as, as we close this morning the Holy Spirit, like Paul prayed, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I think that's what we need more than anything, is that the eyes of our heart, he's talking about our soul, would be enlightened, that we would be able to see things as they really are and not be distracted. That's the other thing I want to pray, is that we wouldn't be distracted, but that we would recognize that the time is short. And I don't know about you, but because the time is short, I want to bring as many people into the kingdom as we can, right? Come on, it's the only hope. I'm looking out here at people who have wrestled with things personally in your own life, and some of you are even here today, and you're wrestling with things you're not wrestling against. You can't just say, I'm going to use willpower, and I'm going to beat my addiction. I'm going to read a book, and I'm going to stop gambling. I'm going, to, I'm going to stop going on the internet, and so my porn addiction is going to go away. No, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. 
These are spiritual forces at work that we gotta yield to the very presence and the Holy Spirit of God who can make us holy, who can change us. It's the only power that can transform us. And I believe that when we are transformed, transform people, transform cities, transform cities, transform states, transform states, transform nations. And that when we will draw a circle around us and say, God, let revival start right here. Let it start with me. God, do a work in my heart. Change me, God. I need you. I'm desperate for you. I'm hungry for you. And I know that we're not alone in this fight. We're not alone in this fire. We're not alone in this heat. There's another one that's in the fire with us, and his name is Jesus. And I'm so grateful, aren't you? So I want to close in prayer. There's two groups of people I want to talk to. The first one is, there's some of you might be in this room, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've heard, you've heard everything today. You've experienced his very life here today. And you heard him say that I'm the bread of life. Who, if you just come to me, I'll feed your life with good things. I'll, I'll give you the very life that you're looking for, that you've been trying to find satisfaction in this world for. Trust me, I did it for, for 20 years. I thought I could find happiness and fulfillment in this world, and I just ended up emptying on Prozac, being pretty miserable, living for Friday night, living paycheck to paycheck, living for the party, and then waking up miserable, depressed, anxious, scared for what my future was like. And I know that there are many of you right now that you're falling into that category. You're anxious, you're afraid of your future, you're turning to drugs, alcohol, anything you get your hands on to just ease the pain, to just numb yourself because you don't have an answer. Can I tell you the answer is surrendering your life to Jesus. The moment that I made that decision, my life turned around 180. I had a peace that I never knew before. I had a joy that wasn't circumstantial, but it was, it was real, it was alive. And I know you want that desperately. Can I tell you, if you take a step of faith and say, I just want you to close your eyes right now. For those of you who are watching online, if that's you, just raise your hand. Just say right now, this is the greatest decision that you'll ever make for your life. Just slip your hand up and say, I'm not gonna ask you to come forward, but maybe you wanna get baptized later. But if you'll take a step of faith and say, I'm not even sure exactly what I'm doing, but, but what you said is exactly what I've experienced. And I want that life. I want that peace. I want that joy. You can experience it today. Just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you. Maybe there's some of you online that are watching that you would, you're raising your hand right now. You're saying, yes, Pastor Lance, that's me. Well, I want to tell you, you can pray this prayer with me. I want us to pray it all together. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for rescuing me from sin and from death. I believe that you are the Son of God and you died on the cross to forgive my sins and to give me new life. Today, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now I wanna pray for the rest of you. Come on, yeah, just give a clap because I know whether you raised your hand or not, or maybe somebody online, I know, I know somebody prayed that prayer and that became real to him. Now here's what I want us to do before we end in this last worship song. And we gotta hurry up because we got another service to put on. But I want you to just lift your hands like this right now, all over. I wanna pray for you. 
Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you come. Breathe on your people once again. Breathe on your people once again. God, I pray for a grace to come upon them. God, I pray that you would open their eyes, open their ears, enlighten their hearts, God, that they would see things for the way you see them, that we wouldn't see people as enemies, that God, we would begin to see spirits and principalities at work, that God, our heart would break for what breaks yours. God, right now, I believe your heart is breaking for this nation. I believe your heart is breaking for people that are in pain and suffering that don't know you and are making poor choices and decisions for their life. God, I pray that you would put a holy fire within us, God, that we would burn to see people come know you and to, God, to extend a hand of love and grace and yet stand firm in the truth, God, of your word, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you give us your grace. We stand in that grace this morning as we stand in the fire with you.